Father, we just thank you again for your blessings, for giving us another day, another day of life and another day to serve you. And we just pray that you'll be with us, be with our plans today and with our meeting in Jesus' name. Amen. So here's another quick spiritual nugget that I've gleaned from Desire of Ages. As we associate together, we may be a blessing to one another. If we are Christ, our sweetest thoughts will be of him. We shall love to talk of him as we speak to one another of his love. Our hearts will be softened by divine influences, beholding the beauty of his character. We shall be changed into the same image from glory to glory. It's the ideal, right? We talk of Jesus every day in our communications. I know I fall well short of that sometimes. <coughs> Sabbath afternoon, find myself talking about technology. <laughs> And then I remind myself, or my friends remind me, we need to talk about Jesus, right? That's, that, is the, that is the goal, that is the ideal. And he is the perfect character that we can emulate in our lives. So just encourage you in that regard this morning. And then just a couple things of interest. We'll do this really quick. Um, the first one is really interesting uh, in my mind. Um, I don't know if you've seen this or heard of this. It is the Adventist Digital Library. And this is a fairly new development, probably sort of in the last two to three years they've done this. Um, and it's, it's very, very interesting. AdventistDigitalLibrary.org. And what they have done is they have scanned Adventist publications, documents, all kinds of material from the Office of Historical Resources and have put it on this website available to be searched. Um, and so let me just do an example of what you might do here. You can go to the search here um, option. And, it's, uh, and then here you can search in all collections. You can put in a name. You can put in anything you'd like to search for. What we find most people sort of do to start with is put in their name or one of their family members' name if they have had Adventists for a long time, been Adventists for a long time. And so I, I found this fascinating. I put in my grandmother's name, okay? So here's my grandmother, Florence Parker. My grandmother is the first Adventist in our family. She became an Adventist in 1948, I think in central Vermont, so. Are you getting a different picture than I have? Yes, the picture changes when you go to the website, so every time you go, it's a little different. All right, so anyway, here's the search results, and you can see there's a hit here in the British Advent Messenger from 1964. I don't think that's my grandmother. <laughs> However, this next one probably is my grandmother. Here is the Adventist Union, I'm sorry, Adventist, Atlantic Union Gleaner from 1952. And it was scanned in, and here's the results of that search. And, um, and there is, in fact, my grandmother right here, Florence Parker, where she went to, let's see, members of the Morrisville, Vermont Church were certified by the American Red Cross as first aid instructors. And there's my grandmother, so she was certified. So um, 
I know she was a member of the Morrisville, Vermont church, so I know that's her. Um, is, that, is that Web address with two L's, the digital to letters? It is. It is okay, two well, L's, sure. yes, the Do full they, spelling. Do happen this only from uh, North America or from all over the world? You know, I think they're scanning from all over the world. Whatever they can find that they can get access to, they are scanning. And so, um, in some ways, it's, it's pretty, uh, you know, it's pretty interesting that they're, they're able to pull that off. And so it's not just that they scan it, but they do something called OCR to those documents. That's so optical character recognition, so they convert that into characters. Can put a name in there? Where's that? Where it says here, all collectors, you can put a name in there? Right under all collections, there should be a box that's yeah. got a little magnifying glass to the right. Yeah. Yep, that's the search box. Okay. Yeah. So if you have Adventists in your family, this is always interesting. But it's also just interesting, all these documents that they've stored and scanned and put out here. Very fascinating. Um, and they're continuing to do that. They're continuing to scan documents and, and make them available. So all of our publications and papers are there. So I looked earlier and I found uh, I didn't even know. I had put my name in here. And I found that there I was, my baptismal uh, picture was actually in the Atlantic Union Gleaner. I never knew it was even published there. Wow. <laughs> Back when I was baptized in 1978, 79. <laughs> I was like, wow. So that's kind of funny that you don't have to sign a waiver. Yeah, I don't know about any waivers. Right, I don't, I don't know how they deal with that. Yeah. It's up there. There was a young man that I grew up with, Gunther Uh-huh. And he is in here, but he's not highlighted. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I couldn't, but his name is in here. What can I do when I see his name? Hide it up there for search? You can look at the documents. I don't know what, you know, they may have information, they may not. Yeah. Look where I found it. What's, what's the name of the document? Association. That's Tinnifer, that's my name. that was a brother of my father in law. Oh, wow. So you could click on that document and look at the actual document. No, you're not necessarily going to find somebody's address because all this is is a, a scanned copy of published documents. So, you know what I mean? So if, if I was in the Adventist Review or I, my name was in the... Right. That's correct, right. It's not necessarily finding contact information, right? Because no. it's just... That's Facebook. That would be... Yeah, Facebook is... <laughs> I was wondering what happened to certain people that I shunted out when we were teenagers. Yeah, well, you may find some interesting things in there. I can do that at home. Sure. Now, the other thing I was going to show you and talk about this morning really quickly, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but there are... And this is kind of relevant to what we're going to be talking about later today in some of our other discussions. There are five big U.S. tech companies. These are the biggest U.S.-based publicly traded tech companies okay, by their market cap. The market cap is their value of their stock, essentially. And you could say it's the sort of the net worth almost. Not quite net worth, but anyway, it's a good market evaluation of the, of the value of the company. So, does anyone know what one of these top five might be? Any guesses? Apple. Apple. Coca-Cola. No, Coca-Cola is not considered a tech company. Oh, 
Yeah, that's a good that's a good one. But anyone else think of one that might be good? Microsoft is another one, sure. Um, any any other guesses? Dell is not on the list. Yep. Yep. Google is not on the list, but there's a, there's a reason why, because Google is not the name of the company. Yeah. Do you guys know the name of the company that Google is part of? Anyone know? It starts with an A. HP. Alphabet. Alphabet. Interesting name, but this is actually Google. Okay, Alphabet is Google. So you're right, it is Google, but I, I was just giving you a hard time. <laughs> uh, it essentially is Google, but uh, come on, there it goes. All right, that's three of them. Anyone else hazard a guess for another one? Amazon. Amazon, very good, absolutely, Amazon. It's a tech company, huh? Yep, yep. There's uh, not Verizon. No, Verizon's up there, but it's not in the top five. The other one might surprise you, but you've all probably used it. It's a social media company. Oh, Facebook. Facebook. Yeah, Facebook. So while I'm uh, explaining this a little bit, somebody go onto Google and just type in there, into Google, type in Apple and market cap. And tell me what the market capitalization value of Apple is today. This number changes every day, right? Because stock prices go up and down, they fluctuate, so the, so the number changes. Yeah, you could type Apple and market cap, and Google should tell you almost immediately what the market cap value is. 933.82B. Yep, 933 what? 0.82B. So, so 933 billion, that's what it's saying, I think. Apple yeah. and then cap. Yep. Apple is currently worth $933 billion, okay? That's its market cap. And if everyone wants to do the next ones, we'll do all of these really quick. It shouldn't take too long, just, just, just for fun. If you do alphabet in market cap, see what alphabet is. See what our alphabet's market cap value is. Anyone know? 827 million, okay? Billion. Well, it may depend a little bit on which, which one is figuring it, but it's in that ballpark, I know. It's in the 800 billion range. Amazon, anyone have Amazon? Someone can look up the different ones. If someone wants to look up Facebook and someone else, Microsoft, they can run through these pretty quick. That doesn't sound right to me. Is that that's the market cap? Oh, okay, eight four three point seven six. Eight okay, eight four three. That sounds okay. more like it. Um, well, this for Facebook, it's five eight four point five eight. Good. All right. Wow. All right. We'll just do the. How much was it? Five. Don't do the point. Just what is the total? Five five forty. Five eighty four. Okay, five eighty four billion. Does anyone have Microsoft? Does anyone have Microsoft's value? It's their market cap value. Seven seventy four. Seven seven four. Okay. 
774 billion. Okay, I think that's those are reasonable numbers. I'm not quite sure on Facebook. I thought they were a little bit more valuable, but maybe that's. Should be billion dollars. All these should be in the billions. Yeah. So, so what's interesting is that these five big tech companies combined, as you can see, if you add these numbers up, are over three trillion dollars combined. Three trillion dollars. What's interesting about that that number is that is more value than almost all the countries in the world individually. So that's more value than the United Kingdom. There are only four countries in the world that are worth more than these five tech companies. The United States, Germany, Japan, and China. All the other countries in the world, their individual values, not combined, but each individual country is worth less than these five tech companies. Now, let me ask you this. This is where we're getting started. Yeah. Have any of you, do you think, ever used one of these companies for any services? Has anyone ever thought, used anything from Apple? Probably most of us have used Apple. Anyone used Google? Of course, we've all used Google for sure. I mean, I don't think anyone could say they haven't used Google. Um, Amazon? Surprisingly, even if you haven't bought something from Amazon, you've probably been using their services without knowing. And the reason is that Amazon, though their total sales is a lot of their dollars is from online retail, they actually make most of their money a different way. They make most of their money from their cloud services. In fact, they, there's articles that will suggest that Amazon floats their online retail store by the funds they make from their cloud services. And who uses Amazon's cloud services? Lots and lots of companies, lots and lots of people. So you might use, uh, let me think now, what was one I was thinking about the other day? Uh, I think it's Dropbox that's using Amazon on the back end for storing all your data. And there's, um, oh man, Twitter I think was using, I was using Amazon for quite a while. Anyway, there's a lot of companies that rely on, on, on them. And then of course, uh, Facebook is on here. Um, Facebook makes a lot of money how? Does anyone know how they make money? Advertising. Advertising. The two on here that make money in advertising is Facebook and Google. Those companies are almost fully sustained by advertising. And then Microsoft makes money from a couple different things, but of course from Windows, their software division. But they're now, they're, they're also biggest upcoming service that they're making money on is cloud computing. Cloud computing. They make, they're making more money on cloud computing now than they, I mean, they're putting all their resources into it. They put very little into other, other resources. So anyway, I just thought this was interesting. What's that? Microsoft. All of these companies are involved in the cloud. Okay, Every, all five of those companies are using cloud computing to make money in one way or another. So. It's interesting that top 10 companies are all in the United States, except for China, is number six. Yeah. Ten, I've never even heard of the company. Tencent Holdings. Don't know that one. No, I don't either. No. Well, well it's, it's a holdings company. So the question really is what companies uh, they hold? 
And that may not even be a tech company, right? It may just be, right? Now, China, there are, there are other big tech companies outside of the United States, like Samsung, which you've heard of. They're a huge tech company outside of the United States. And Hawaii, H-U-W-A-I-E, Hawaii. Um, they are also a big Chinese tech company. So anyway, so I just thought that might be interesting to look at, and we'll be talking a little bit more about that later because we're going to talk about cloud computing today. And cloud computing, all these companies are involved in that. Like I was saying, so. Um, but first this morning, uh, just a review of yesterday. Remember we talked about scams. So just reminding you to be alert. When you get, when you get notices, when you get phone calls. So let me ask you this. If I get a phone call and they say, this is Microsoft. We believe that you have a problem on your computer. What should I do? Hang up. Hang up because Microsoft does not call you. Okay, so they never do that. They won't do that. There's no reason for them to do that, okay? My friend, she had a phone call from somebody and she said it's from Canada. Yeah. And it sounded exactly like her grandson, the voice and everything. And, uh, wow. Yeah, it really floored her. Yeah. And I they wanted to have $2,000 to get home or something. Yeah. And, uh, she was yes. ready to send the money, but somebody on a bank, they told her it's probably a scam. It's a scam. didn't do it, but they called again, and, and right. she didn't send it, but she came very, very close to send it because she said she, it was exactly the voice of her grandson. Yep, yep, those kind of scams are out there. My, my, uh, one of my daughters got a call right after graduating from college. She had moved to Detroit area, started med school, and... Um, <clears throat> they said, this is the IRS calling, mm -hmm. and you did not pay your graduation tax. Mm -hmm. If you do not pay it within the next four hours, we are going to send the sheriff to your apartment to arrest you. Oh, right, so she was pretty scared by that. I mean, she really thought that might be real. She was texting me while they're talking, and I kept saying to her, hang up, hang up. It's not real. <laughs> I know it's a scam. Hang up. And she did eventually, uh, what, what she finally realized it was a scam when they said to her, uh, we only accept payment in iTunes gift cards. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, really? Okay, that's an interesting one. Anyway, again from yesterday, passwords, two big things. Don't reuse them, make them long, right? It's two simple things. And we talked also about using a password manager or some sort of notebook and then obfuscating your passwords if you're going to write them down some way so that you know what it is, but if someone sees your notebook, they may not know what the password is. You can leave a character out. Sometimes is all it takes, or a couple characters or a word, something like that. Very simple. All right. Uh, this morning, we're going to cover, we're going to have a visit here with Todd. We're going to talk about LastPass. I'm going to do a quick demo, and then we'll get into some of these other areas. Uh, we'll see how far we can get this morning. So I invited uh, Todd Gardner to come and just chat with us a little bit. Todd is the Director of uh, Technology and All Things Electronic at Great Lakes Adventist Academy. Uh, Todd, how long have you been working here now? Is this your third year? This is the beginning of year number five. Five? Oh, it's even longer than I thought. Yeah. And I asked Todd to share a little bit about how they're doing security here to keep 
the students safe from all the craziness on the internet and from themselves, right? So go ahead, Todd. Sure. Really, my background is I graduated at Andrews in '90 with a business degree. I went there. I had more computer classes than what Andrews was able to teach me at the time. Um, when I was at uh, Academy, my instructor and I both was this new thing of computers that had just been invented. You know, uh, we started any programming language we could, we'd learn it. And then when we exhausted everything he knew, he says, well, choose what you want to do next and let's, let's learn it together. And uh, we did that. When I got to Andrews, I, I took a Fortran language class and I remember sitting in the class thinking, man, I'm, you know, they're like, you just have to, you know, have it ask you a couple questions on the screen. And I, I'd have it ask questions in the background with flash and there'd be boards and there'd be boards in the class and whatnot. And um, as awful as it was, and it really sounds terrible, and it was at the time, but I looked around the classroom and I said, I don't have much in common with the rest of these nerds. I'm, I need to do something else in my life. So that's when I went into communications and business, which I'd enjoyed. And actually, my background, so Andrews hired me to be the telecommunications manager to run the phone system. And realized that the way before the computers were telephones. And the phone industry has been this burgeoning industry. What tech is today, the phone industry was in the early days. And um, so that's what I do is telephones. Well, these days, technology's merged enough that phones really ride on computer platforms. And uh, so there's this merging that's taking place in the industry. So my expertise since I left uh, Andrews and while I was at Andrews was really telecommunications. I used to laugh and I'd tell the, uh, I got hired by a large company that does internet in Grand Rapids, Michigan, large regional ISP. And I, I used to say, you know, all you nerds can just make this computer work only in this building. The internet, or, they can only make a network work in this building. Without telephone people, you can't get it outside of this building. Telephone people make it so that your internet in your building can be extended to the house, to across the state, to across the nation, across the campus. And so that's really what my expertise has been in is really what we would call wide area network management. Local area is what's here in this building, maybe even across my campus, but really wide area network. I'm the guy who they call and say, I need to have an OC192 engineered from Kellogg headquarters down to uh, this facility in Sao Paulo, Brazil, because they want to make toast the OCs and they need to know real time what's happening with that. So I worked for MCI WorldCom for a long time and enjoyed that. Um, came up here and helped build the fiber optic network in this four county area. And uh, then the university called, and, or the academy called, and asked if I would come work for them. And I hadn't worked for the church since I left Andrews. And I'd actually been praying about it a lot, telling the Lord, man, I, I appreciate the jobs you're giving me, but I really wish I could work 40 hours a week or more for you and not all this other stuff. I honestly felt terribly guilty that the majority of what was on the internet is porn and other junk. And here I am helping uh, proliferate this idea of all that garbage. And so, you know, I told the Lord, I said, boy, if you find me something else, I'll do it. And when the Academy called me, I was really thrilled to do it. And they were a little sheepish when they called and said, you know, I know this is a little different figure than you're used to. <laughs> but we'll be putting this dollar amount to your son's college bill at Southern. <laughs> it's okay. Now we're getting to the ballpark. So I really enjoyed it a lot. And I am, as Delwin, our principal, says, not like your average IT kind of guy. 
because my expertise really was in telecommunications. And what I excelled in was uh, I worked for the, I was assigned to the top six companies in the state of Michigan other than the four automakers. You think of the three automakers, but Volkswagen's the other one. And I also mm. didn't have Dow. So other than the four automakers and Dow Chemical, every other large corporation in the state, the top six were mine. Kellogg, Whirlpool, Upjohn, Steelcase, First American Bank, which is now National City. Anyway, I really enjoyed it. Not about me. So I came here, and um, I just enjoyed it. And uh, like he says, the, the world in IT is so different. Everybody's got their expertise. You know, there's people who take care of desktops. There's software people. There's server people. There's network people. So what I like to think is every one of us that come to the academy, we build on the strengths of the other person. Now, the last guy was really awesome at scripting and back-end computer type stuff and desktop support. So he got that working, and then I built on top of that platform, and we've really worked on the wide area network, on the wireless, which is another area that I excel in. And um, then we've done a lot of server work. We, I like, I declare a year. Last year was the year of the server. You know how the, I stole it from the Chinese. You know, yeah. the year of the cow, the year of the pig. Last year was the year of the server. The year before was the year of the network. I haven't decided what we're doing this next year. But so the question really is, what kind of things do we do about security here at the academy? And I'll, I'll start by saying we do not have it all figured out. There's always this balance about money, which is important, and time, which is even more important. And what can we do? to accomplish all of those with what we have as these resources that we're chosen to be stewards of. You know, if somebody wants to give me $100,000, we can even make it a more strong network. But what we have works really, really well for what it is. And actually, probably um, in some ways, one of my largest vulnerabilities is can't be. We're a school, we're designed to be a school, we think like a school, all of our computers everywhere are designed to be a school. But for 10 days out of a year, I'm one of the largest convention centers in the state of Michigan. And I invite thousands of strangers in, and I give them free internet access and hope that they can't get to my computer systems and do something funky. And the bad thing for me is somebody could be um, sitting at the back of a chapel and maybe have access to all my systems and doing something nefarious there that I didn't know about. So we've done several things. Um, on recently about our wireless network to upgrade it to the, the most recent standards uh, that we can afford, which is pretty reasonable, and to make sure that there's what we call network isolation. I had a lady call me last Chris, uh, last, last camp meeting, and she says, I have to have the password to Glossacure. That's the one wireless ID you've probably seen out there. And I says, well, what do you, what do you need that for? And she says, well, my boss says I'm only supposed to connect my work laptop to a secure network I can't connect to, an insecure network. And I said, well, they're all secure. She said, but this one says it's secure. <laughs> and I said, well, they're all secure. They all have what we call network isolation turned on on them. So that when you log on with your laptop, when you log on with your laptop, you can't see each other's laptop. We try to make sure that that doesn't happen. But, you know, everything's only as good as, as what we can afford. And you got to remember, I had a computer teacher, the one I told you about, he used to tell me all the time, he says, locks are only for honest people. So, you know, 99% of the people are going to walk through the door, find it's locked, and just walk on by. 1% of the people will come up with another idea. I remember when I was at training, uh, we were out, this is one of uh, MCI WorldCom, you know, they, uh, in their day. It was one of their top facilities. We're out in Denver, 
and uh, we're all for training. And we're in this high secure building. We have to use the ID badges to get into all the doors, right? We all get back from lunch a little early and we're locked out and we're waiting. Training's going to start in another 15 minutes, but we're out in the lobby. We can't get in. And we're like, oh man, where are we going to have to wait? One guy goes, uh uh, and he reaches over and he grabs a piece of paper. And there's two doors, right? And you know how you like open the door, you can open the door the other way, but they're locked. They're magnetically sealed, is what they are. And he takes his piece of paper and he slides it between the two doors and he wiggles it just a little. And the sensor thought somebody was walking in, unlocked all the doors, and we just walked right in. Just because he took a piece of paper and wiggled it, and there was $100,000 worth of security overridden on something simple like that. So some people are clever and find ways around the system. Yeah. And an electric eye on the other side, so that if I'm in the building and I'm walking out, it senses that I'm leaving and it opens the door for me so I can walk out. So my point is, some students are very clever. <laughs> and I tell people too, I have to be humble, which the Lord works very hard on me. Um, because the, the person who teaches chemistry, he knows that when somebody walks in his classroom, he, is the, he knows more about chemistry, the, the teacher does, than anybody else in the classroom, guaranteed. And when you walk into Mrs. Heslop's math class, I guarantee you there's not a student in here that's better at math than she is, guaranteed. And the same is true in almost all the subjects here. You go in and you, you know, it's gonna be the same, but in computers, it's not the case. All that kid has to do is read one article, do three Google searches, and he probably knows more about that topic than I do. So it's a real challenge to try to keep up. But some of the things we do, um, on our campus from an internet safety standpoint. Um, God has given men uh, an appetite for uh, attraction. Uh, it's a physiological thing. Young men in particular, uh, they're looking for things on the internet that they shouldn't be looking for. And so one of the things that we do is we use internet filtering on our campus. I use a product called iBoss. It's not something that any of you would necessarily use. It's a fairly expensive box. Um, but iBoss allows me to um, do internet filtering on campus. And then behind that, and I'll, I'll show you, I'll draw some stuff up for you. Behind that I use um, something called OpenDNS. And those two products allow us to, to filter our internet as best we possibly can. But the way that internet filtering works is that um, we only can filter what we know. So one of the world's largest porn sites is called Pornhub. And so it's easy for us to know that Pornhub.com is a bad website. So our system's smart enough to go Pornhub.com, blocked. Okay? But if you create a brand new website tomorrow, and it's, I don't know, Porn Hillbilly, but it's never been heard of before, the filtering system's never heard of it before, nobody's said Porn Hillbilly's bad, so it's very possible that you could go to Porn Hillbilly and it would work. Now we have companies that their sole job on earth is to look for brand new domains they can make. They go out and they search it. They have four or five people go to it and they vote on it. They'll say, yep, that's definitely a porn site. Oh, yes, most certainly a porn site. And after so many people agree, yep, that's a porn site, they'll block it. Okay? The reason why they have people vote is you don't want one person to go, yeah, that uh, sdachurch.org is a porn site and block it or categorize it wrong. Now, we also categorize every website, not just on whether it's porn or not, but whether it's a business site, whether it's a church site, whether it's got um, money involved, whether it does social networking, whether it uh, allows shopping, um, all of these different categories and more. <clears throat> is it, does it have uh, scantily clad 
um, women, maybe that sell swimsuits, because maybe I block pornography, but I don't want to block swimsuits, so on and so forth, right? <clears throat> so every website has multiple categorizations, then you can set your levels of what you want to filter. So we filter here on the campus, but we take that a step further because the filtering is only probably, by most estimates, about 98% accurate. So if a student goes to 100 websites two times, they may get somewhere that they shouldn't go if they're constantly attacking the network. So a couple of things matter. A, we log all of the information, but you'd be surprised. I, the other day, I cleared out the end of the school year. I keep seven days' worth of records. We had um, 155,000 images from the computer student, from the students' computers. So imagine 155,000 uh, pages a week that I'm supposed to somehow make sure that little Timmy didn't go to the wrong place. Right. It was very hard. Now, I'll tell you about some new technology out on the horizon was kind of interesting. Well, before I do that, remind me about that. So what we do in the academy, in addition to filtering, we remind the students on the very first day of school that we do what we call screen captures. So our computers are actually all programmed that when a student logs in, every 30 seconds, and you don't know when the 30 seconds is, but every 30 seconds it takes a picture of the screen and it saves it to the hard drive. So the nice thing is, is that what, what often happens is we all need that extra layer of accountability. So the young man knows he shouldn't go to a, a bad website. He knows that God's looking and watching and writing it down. But now he also knows that Mr. Gardner is also looking and it, and it gets written down into the computer database, right? And so what happens is, is that we'll call Timmy in and say, hey, listen, I just went through screen prints and I saw some disturbing things. Um, and then in our particular case at the academy, we uh, turn off, they lose their internet privileges for a month. And we make them go through a special program um, that's uh, all about addictions and so on and so forth. And uh, so that works pretty well. I will say this, when I first got here, uh, we were probably disciplining maybe five to 10 students a year. We might have maybe 10 incidences a year. Uh, this last year I had one, and the year before I think I had one. And so the incident rate is down a lot because when we tell the students, there is somebody looking over your shoulder all the time, it makes a difference. Um, some of the things that are simple we do that you can do in your own homes is every computer faces out always. And as a rule at the academy, we try to do that in every single office as well for every one of our staff. The rule is that every computer monitor should always face out. Now, oftentimes we think, well, there's a door. I'm going to set my desk here, and I'm going to have my computer here because then it gives me a little bit of privacy. I don't want people seeing what's on my computer screen. But if we're really talking about accountability, um, especially in the home, having your computer in the kitchen is way better than in a bedroom. Having your kitchen, your computer facing out totally adds this layer of accountability for the kids. And in this classroom, um, things have improved a ton since all the monitors all face where the teacher is all the time. Okay? Really improved a lot of things. So I told you that we have this, uh, this system that captures screen captures every 30 seconds. You've all known that Facebook and Google and the police, the NSA, everybody now, has facial recognition software. So we can take a picture. It just blows my mind that I can have a picture of my son that I take today, and I can label that Wyatt. 
And I can upload a picture of him from 10 years ago, and that computer can, can almost always identify that photo as that's Wyatt from 18 years earlier or 10 years earlier. Just remarkable. Yeah. So the accuracy level is just starting to become almost spooky. Very interesting. Although I can say as a parent, my son's at Southern and he's a boy, so he doesn't really, he doesn't talk to us a lot, as much as a mommy and daddy would like, right? Because he's a boy. But every now and then we'll get, Facebook will say, oh, there's a picture of Wyatt. And we'll look online and sure enough, there he is in the background of somebody else's photo. We're like, okay, he's still alive. <laughs> I, you know, so he was, you know, jumping off of rocks into water in the, in the river or something. Well, whatever, at least I know he's alive. So what's fascinating is the industry of, um, that tries to protect young people from internet pornography and other things has come up with the concept of uh, pornographic recognition software. The idea is if I can identify a face, I can identify body parts, and I can identify skin tone, and I can identify the amount of skin. So this has been an industry that is slow because it doesn't have nearly the money that facial recognition does. There's more people who are interested in that than there are in trying to protect kids, which is sad. But that industry is slowly moving towards being able to identify things and say, 85% of this photo is skin tone, therefore this photo is suspect. And then it begins doing other levels of recognition to try to determine, is this a bad picture? That's helpful to me when that technology is accurate enough. I was getting way too many false positives, but um, I'll have that going through my 155,000 photos a week to find ones that, that flag as a problem. Mm. Now the other thing we do is, because of those screen prints, um, the seniors and stuff, they have computers in the room, all the other students just use a computer lab. But if we hear something, we'll go back through the screen prints. The seniors, every so often, the principal and I will just go through their computers and see what's on them. Um, we use that information to know what they're doing. Yeah? Do you mean students have computer now all the time in their rooms? Only the seniors. All the senior students have a computer. I know when my children went to the academy, they were not even allowed to have a radio in their room. Right, but there were no, yeah, yeah that's and right. Now they have the, the, the computer, they have smartphones, and then yeah. how do you ever can control Yeah, not the school. I'll tell you, if you missed the seminar yesterday afternoon, that was phenomenal about electronic digital um, Addiction? uh, addictions. Mm -hmm. It was fantastic. Did you catch it? I did not, no, I would oh, like to. Buy but... the disc. By this, it was really, it was yesterday at the afternoon speaker in the main auditorium. It was about um, digital addictions. Was it Christy Verdon? I think it was. I only heard it on the radio yeah, while I was working in my It was yes. phenomenal. Christian Verdell, you say. Um, it's scary. So to your point exactly, what we do here at the Academy, and I, I understand, uh, we're a conservative school. We're not the most conservative in the entire uh, nation, maybe, in some ways. But when it comes to electronics, we are, as, as far as we know, we're the most conservative school as it comes to electronics. Oh, I believe it. I believe it. But it, it's such a big thing. It is. And that's why. is because our concern is the it's same as yours. It's a big change from when my children came here than uh, yeah. now, you know. Yeah, they're still not allowed to have radios or television or anything like that. They're not allowed to have cell phones at all. Oh, that's um, we don't allow them to have a smartwatch. Yeah. Um, I know that maybe seems a little heavy in some regards, but... Uh, we just don't allow any of those things, for better or for worse. Yeah. Now, we think that it's better, and after listening to the seminar yesterday, and I mean, it wasn't just that he had a lot of opinions, he had a lot of facts. He showed research after research, that when a person, when my phone texts, when I hear my text message go, 
or an email, it takes all, uh, nearly, I think he said the average was 27 minutes before you can get back on task for work. And we're constantly being interrupted all the time. They said that even, the research showed that even if I had this phone, let's say you and I are going to talk, you come into my office for a little, I don't know, how about something, if I even set my phone down, and I maybe even turn the volume off so I don't hear the ringer at all, not just vibrate, but I turn it, you know, off, but it's sitting there, turned off, my brain will not focus. I want to say, I thought it was, I think there was a 20, and it depended on age too. The younger they are, the worse it was, but I think it was like 26% less ability to focus on you just knowing that my phone was close by. On the other hand, if I took the phone and I left it in the other room, and now I'm having a meeting with you, now I was able to understand, listen, and communicate 26% better. And that's not advice that's turned off. Which is why, Todd, they say it's better to have that phone in a different room when you sleep. Yes, that's absolutely true. If you put your, when you go to bed at night, instead of putting that phone right next to your, on your nightstand, yep. put it in the other room and let it charge over there so you're not thinking about it or disturbed by it. Absolutely. So that's some of the things we do. Mm -hmm. What meaning is he talking about? That's some of the things we do for uh, okay, internet safety. Um, our wireless is locked down so that the students Bertal, can use Christian Bertal, Christian um, You know, the students can get their phones yeah. in special circumstances. If we go on a bus trip, or if I take a group of students to Walmart, we usually give them their cell phones because it's easier for us to coordinate. Okay, I need you to come. You didn't show up. It's, it's, we agreed we'd meet at 8. It's 8.01. Where are you? Or whatever the case may be. When we take them to Washington, D.C. or Boston, we give them their phones. And that is really super handy to track them down. Yeah. Um, but, but we try to really restrict that. Yeah. You know, kids act like they can't survive without their phones. Oh, my. Like, what happened to us when we were growing up? <laughs> <laughs> we are addicted to radio. You know, students, nobody wants a radio. Of course, none of them listen to the radio. They don't know what a radio is, for the most part, because they listen on their phones and everything else. <laughs> But you're right. It, it's an addiction, and it really is. If you listen to Christian's thing, I mean, it just was mind-blowing. I heard things like it, but the fact that he put the research behind it, I was like, it was very powerful and very scary. So I don't think we necessarily have it all figured out here, but we try. One of the things, it's hard, We, you know, the students, I'll tell you what, Facebook is a real, uh, it's a real burden. Um, it's a burden for myself. But for the young people, I mean, they are so addicted to it, and actually it creates so much more drama. It creates drama like crazy. After 8 o'clock, then the dorm, you know, you just got so much going on, and it's, it's to the point where we are probably this close, and we need to talk about it in pre-session, which we will. Um, the girls' dean is asking that we just not allow Facebook in the dorms at all. That in order to use Facebook, you got to come to this computer lab, but for sure not to allow it in the evenings, just because kids get all wound up, things get back and forth, and all they have is text messaging. You know how people are more hostile over text messages than they are when they're face to face. I'll say things to you on Facebook that I would never say to you face to face. Absolutely. And um, that's something that this culture we're trying to get the kids to understand. So it's hard. Some of the students when they come, they they think it's terrible. Um, some of the students, after a while, uh, we've had many students say, you know what, in a way it is kind of nice. It's just like at my house, we have a policy, you know, not using our phones at the table or whatever kind of thing. It's hard. Yeah. yeah with my first two, I just took texting away from them even when they were in high school because I just felt they were using it, not communicating. 
And I just feel like now that I've gotten older and they yeah. have given them, you know, some more technology while well, my mother on the phone still has a flip phone. Right. But I, Good. No, I'm just, you know, I can afford other phones, but I just decided they need to learn how to do the facial yeah. interaction and the other stuff. And the, when they're older and more mature, they can handle it better. Yeah, yeah. And I just think that I've seen so many kids walking around here with iPhones. Well, there's two things you triggered, two it's thoughts crazy. in my mind. Um, one, I'm going to tell you about the circle at my house. And the second of all, is I do think that there's a responsibility for us to teach children. And so one of the things that we try, again, I don't know if we got it perfect, but we try, is this idea of progressive learning. There is no way on earth I would give a freshman a computer in their dorm room at all, period. There's no way I'd do it for a sophomore. But by the time that most of them are 17, 18, and they're going to be in college next year, and they most certainly are going to have a computer in their dorm room, we feel like if we can give them um, graduated privileges as they grow, and we're watching and monitoring and working with them, hopefully we don't just throw them cold turkey at a computer in the room when they get in, into college. So that's really the reason why our seniors, well, it's not the reason. The reason our seniors have a, a computer is because they have so many more reports that they're writing. Uh, we're getting them ready for college, and that's when the reports really come out. But the idea that we can um, progressively work through that, I've talked to the principal in a couple of different situations, and he goes, you know, he says they're a senior, it's two weeks to graduation, they've definitely slipped up, we'll definitely talk to them about it, but we're trying to grow them to get them ready to push them out. So there's a balancing act. Uh, the circle, you guys seem kind of, yeah, ask your question. You mentioned that course the other day, I don't remember the name of it. Uh, somebody said they thought it was Christian Burdell? Christian Burdell. Burdell. He was in the main auditorium, I'm not sure which section it would be on. It was 2 o'clock. It was definitely the 2 o'clock seminar that I heard. Main auditorium, 2 o'clock. 2 o'clock. Main auditorium, Social 2 o'clock. media mayhem. That's it. Social media mayhem. Oh, man, that's probably really well worded. Yeah. You right. cannot choose everything. No. But I'll tell you what, that seminar will be good for you. Think of it from your yeah. perspective about, like you say, not having the phone next to your bed at night. If you and your spouse are having trying to have quality time, knowing that that phone even being in the room with us makes me 25% less or 26% less able to communicate with my wife, makes me want to leave that phone in the other room, let alone kids. Then you start thinking what well, kids can and cannot handle. I don't know how many families will be, supposedly you're not supposed to have a Facebook account until you're age 13. I see it happen all the time where they'll get an account when they're 9 or 10. And mom and dad knows that they've got an account, and the kid has to lie on the computer, which is even worse, and say, oh, no, I'm 13. So then I have people that I'll see now that I know are 19 years old, but Facebook says they're 27 years old. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so I was going to tell you, because you seem a little interested in it, one of the things I do at my home, I, I drug my feet for a long time on how to manage this. Um, we have a philosophy in our house that when the kids come home, if the homework's not done, they get no internet. Okay? We do the same thing, by the way, at the academy here, too. If you have two Ds or even one single F, you get no internet, period. There's no apologies, there's no sympathy, there's no nothing. However, if you need to work on a report, then you can come see a teacher, and we can log you in, and for that one session, you'll have internet. But then when you log out, you'll never have internet again until you have a special need. Mm. Um, now, they can still get to their email, their school email, because that's how the teachers will communicate with them. They can still check their grades, which is online. So the system allows that. 
Those are the only two things we really allow them to do. And actually, we have a remedial math program that's online cloud-based, and so they can access that. But other than that, they, I don't know how many times. I had a student tell me once, he goes, I have to have access. Now, he, he was probably an all-D student or an F student. He says, I have to have internet, I have to have YouTube access. I says, well, why, why is that? And he goes, well, I need it so I can study. I says, well, which class in particular do you need it for? And he says, for my math class. I says, for your math class, you need YouTube. He says, I do, because a lot of times if I don't understand how to do the problem, I'll search for it on, on YouTube and there's a video on it. And I said, well, that may be the case. But I'm going to suggest that you instead YouTube your teacher and find out how she tells me to do the problem. No, I'm not going to give you access to that. They try. So at my house, um, even with me knowing that my computers are in public spaces, even with me knowing that um, Logan does or doesn't have his homework done, and I'm asking him, hey, you can't have internet until your homework's done, and I'll sometimes hear, oh, yeah, yeah, I got my homework done. And maybe it is and maybe it isn't. Usually he doesn't lie. Usually he's forgotten about an assignment. So two things are really helpful. A, now the school's computer system will tell us when his homework is missing and when it's not. And mommy gets a text message that lets her know we're missing that particular homework assignment. But what's really been neat is I, I bought this unit. Uh, it's called Circles, um, just Circles, C-I-R-C-L-E. Um, and the circle is this little device that goes in, in the house. I mean, it's no bigger than, than a little brick, you know, like this, just all it is. Just plug it in anywhere in the house. And that system, uh, I can tell it which computers belong to which person in the house. And I actually went to the point where I was like, Sierra, excuse me, this is your computer. And this is the computer, wow, let me refer that. This is the computer you log into. Logan logs into this computer. Um, this is Daniel's computer, by the way. They know that was his cell phone, not the kid's cell phone, but my older son, even with his phone, and my 21-year-old. It's not his phone. Daddy bought the phone. Daddy can repossess the phone at any time, and you must surrender your password at any time. Now, he was a good boy. I didn't have to really challenge that too much, but um, but there are times that I might want to go through and look at you know his uh, history and know what's going on. Well, what Circle does for me now is. Um, each person's electronics, and there's a thousand of them out there, whether it's you know a game system or the TV or whatever, you'd be shocked how many wireless devices you have in your house. Yes. But they're all registered in the circle, and I set a budget. So I say, Circles. Logan, you have an hour and a half of electronics time in a day, period. That's it. Fancy? Uh, no, it was $100. And so, or at least to me, I didn't think that was terribly expensive for what I wanted it to do. And if $100 helps me claim possession of my home, then I'm okay with Where that. Where do you install it? It can be plugged in anywhere in the house or even work wirelessly. So I put this, and you didn't, it, it's not meant for an IT guy to install. It's so simple. There's a little app on the phone and everything. Uh -huh. So I set it, and I say, Logan, you have an hour and a half. And Sierra, she has an hour and a half also. Or... Actually, in Sierra's case, I think I gave her an hour and a half, and I think I gave Logan two hours, and then um, because that she's younger than he is, and so on and so forth. And you can set different limits so that he's filtered as a teenager, yeah. she's filtered as a child, mm -hmm. mommy and daddy are filtered as adults. Yeah. Um, we filter out our internet too. In fact, I filter all of the internet for all the faculty homes are filtered to mm -hmm. pull out pornography and other things like that. Yeah. And um, so. What's cool about that is when they run out of time, oh, and I can set the time, bedtime for them. If both of them, their bedtime, you know, is 8.30. So, but if I want, I can set Sierra's bedtime at 
eight o'clock and Logan's at nine o'clock because of age difference or whatever, and the system will just go, Poop, don't worry about that for you. Or at any time I want, if it's supper time and I call them and they don't come, I just hit the pause button and it turns off all the internet for them or for the whole house, my choice, and they come running. It was funny, I was at a board meeting once. Somebody had a question for my wife. She wasn't at the board meeting. She was at home. And uh, so I tried calling the house and nobody answered. So I said, well, watch this. Turn off. Uh, I said, sorry. they'll be calling within a minute or two. Turn <laughs> off, and I get a phone call. The internet seems to be down. I said, yeah, I was trying to get a hold of your mom. You know, get on the phone with you. So, um, so it's handy and it gives us a little bit more control. Now, what's very cool is that if Logan comes to me and he says, Dad, it's, um, it's Sunday. Um, I don't know what the special situation is, but think of one. And he says, can I get an extra half hour? I wanted to work on a project with my friend, and we need an extra half hour of computer time. Okay. So I can go on to my, my app. I mean, look, within five seconds, I can just give him, a, reward him with an extra half hour of time. Um, or I can make his bedtime a little later because now it's summertime. I change their bedtime during the summer than it is during the wintertime, you know, so on and so forth. But what's neat is I can also go through the history and I can see every single web page that Logan's gone to and so on and so forth. So this idea of a circle app really gives me a lot more control and it lets me to see what's kind of going on. And we do similar things like that here on the Academy. Is yeah. it uh, easy to install? Oh, it's crazy easy. Um, all I had to do was I just had to plug it in, give it electricity, you know, and then um, I downloaded an app for my phone, and then it says, okay, let me search for one of these units in your house. And it searched, and sure enough, it found it. It goes, oh, I, I found one. And I said, yeah, that's mine. I just turned it on. And then it uh, says, um, let me set this up. What, what's your wireless password? So I told my wireless password. So then it connected to my wireless password and to my wireless in the house. Now it's a part of the network. And then it says, okay, I found these five computers connected. Whose are they? Now that was the hard, the hardest thing is that. Well, this computer is Logan's computer. This phone is mama's phone. This phone is daddy's phone. That was the hardest thing. Um, but beyond that, it was easy. And That's I it. use it when the Academy kids come to my house and visit. Yeah. It'll say, you know, Edward Barboza just showed up, brand new phone. Yeah. Um, does it work only within the house? or? Yeah, it works just in the house. Yeah, yeah. So if they're outside of the house, they're visiting uh, oh, their, their grandparents. For oh, instance. if they were visiting the grandparents, it would not work. Right. Yeah. So um, I've heard of some systems that, that may have that capability, but that's more like you have to download a piece of software in their phone. Right. And then the phone knows that it can't go anywhere except for home to get the information. Right. This uh, Circle's device is by Disney, is that the one? It's Circle by Disney. Or yeah. I think it's Circle and Disney have a partnership. Yeah. The idea, Disney's idea was, well, that way if the kid's restricted, surely you'll let them go to Disney, Disney. stuff. Right. They, they might have internet access, but you'll let them have Disney stuff. And I, I'm just not that kind of guy. No, they don't get nothing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What happens if one of the children just got a pocket? That's very cool. So the system, if they unplug it, first of all, the system lets me know, hey, by the way, your circle got unplugged. And second of all, the internet goes down in the house. Um, I won't bore you with all the scary details under the hood as to how this thing works. That's the stuff that you would go, wow. I mean, it is hacker level technology underneath that is very, very high end. Very cool. Um, 
It's just the kind of things that people like us would be terrified having on our network, except for this is done in a way that's controlled and managed. But if a young person had these kind of tools and was using them to hack my campus, I think I'd go crazy. Todd, we, uh, we got about 15 minutes left. And I really appreciate your sharing. Maybe you can answer one more. I yeah. wanted to have enough time at least to do a quick LastPass demo. Yeah. And so. you use the system in the school? Uh, I could use uh, the circle here. My only fear is, is that um, I've got uh, 300 computers. My staff. I, well, no, I could put one on the whole network, but the problem is I have to identify the nearly thousand devices in the school. Yeah, I'd have to figure out where those thousand devices are. But I thought about it. If there was something more on a higher scale that would do it, but what we have works really well. The other thing I should say is all of our computers are locked down, so there's special software and special uh, Microsoft controls that make it so that you can't log in. Scary stuff. You're going to show about LastPass? Yeah, so. I use LastPass. I, I don't leave home without it. It's awesome. <laughs> Thank this you, is a Todd. good one, too. Hey, I appreciate it, Todd, very much. Appreciate you sharing. Just stop by. Yeah, really appreciate Thanks. you coming by and sharing with us. I was going to mention one other thing about your phone and your tablets you may want to think about. You know, when you have a phone, and you set it next to your bed or in your bedroom somewhere and you're just leaving it sitting there, there is a slight possibility, right, that someone could have hacked your phone and could be taking pictures. You have a camera on that device. So think about where you set your phone down. I mean, probably it's not the case. It's very unlikely. But I'm just saying it has happened. And so I, I'm sort of careful where I set my phone down. And sometimes I'll set it down. If I'm going to set it down in my bedroom somewhere, I might put something over the top of the phone. I'll set a book on it. Just because I'm, maybe I'm paranoid, but I just, I, I'm thinking there's all these devices out there that have cameras on them, and we're sort of willy-nilly not worrying about it. But I think we need to be just at least cognizant of the fact that this device has a camera sitting on it. My kids always say the Chinese kids and the Asian kids cover up their yeah. camera part because they say the government's always and it may be the case. I, I don't know for sure. I just, because that's a pretty, I mean, that would be a pretty sophisticated hack to pull that off. Uh, but I do know that some phones have been hacked before and people have had their data compromised and stuff, unintentional photos taken. So just think about that as you're using devices. You might want to think about where you're putting them. This is becoming a bigger deal. Okay, it's been sort of not a huge thing in the news, but if you ever heard of an IoT, um, device. Has anyone, does anyone know the term IOT? You know, what does it stand for? Internet of, things. Internet of Things. Right. And so that just simply means, right, it just means any device that is connected in some way to the internet. So a refrigerator, right, can be connected to the internet now. You can have security cameras in your home that are connected to the internet. Those are IOT devices. And there's a big one out there from Amazon, right? It's called the Amazon Dot. And you may have heard of Alexa. Alexa is the name of the smart uh, part of that system that will, you tell it something, you can say, Alexa, can you tell me what the weather is going to be today? You just talk to it in English and Alexa will come back and say, yeah, in your area it's going to be sunny today. And that's all done with artificial intelligence and smart systems. The challenge you have is with Alexa is you put this in your living room, it's sitting there listening to everything you're doing. And you don't know what it might or might not do with that information. So you have to be cautious of these things, I think. I mean, I'm not saying you never get one, but maybe you think about where you put it and how you use it, right? I mean, what's it, what are you doing with it? Do you think those are bad in bedrooms to 
Can you turn it to shut off? Can you set you, it to turn off? I, I, heard that. I believe you can. I'm more paranoid than that, so if I had it in my bedroom, I'd unplug it. <laughs> <laughs> in fact, I probably would never put one in my bedroom, honestly. Yes. 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 It's a connection to the internet. Absolutely. So I'm just saying, be really cautious with these types of devices when you use them. But let's take a quick minute here and just, I wanted to show you, um, we had talked a lot yesterday about passwords. We talked about LastPass. I want to show you the website and show you really quickly how it can be utilized because it's very simple to use and it's a nice uh, system. So you can see here on the screen that you can get LastPass for free. There's a free version. I mentioned that yesterday. Um, you might just want to use that to start with, or you can get a premium or a family version. Okay. I don't have anything to gain if you get it or don't get it. I'm not, uh, but we can just click um, get LastPass. All I did is click that link. And if you're in a Chrome browser, I don't know if that will work on these computers because they may have them locked down in some way. You can try it. Yeah, just click on the upper right where it says get LastPass if you want to try this. I'm just going to go through this quickly because we've got a short amount of time. And you can see here that it's, as soon as I click that, it's asking me to add an extension. An extension is an additional piece of software that's added to my browser. In this case, I'm using the Chrome browser. And it, this will work with other browsers as well. Okay, it'll work with Microsoft Edge. Yeah, it'll work with Firefox and the like. So we're going to just go ahead and add an extension. And it's saying you're almost done. It's added the extension. And you can see the extension right here. You see that little, see that little black button? When I slide my little mouse on there, it says LastPass. That's how fast it is. I already added it to my browser. It's not a big program. It doesn't take long. And I just click on that now, and I can go into my LastPass settings. It says get started with your email. So you've got to have an email account. I'm going to use our fictitious user that we've been using all week, Florence M. Simmons. Uh, let's see, M. Simmons at, I think I have a Gmail account set up for that. So we'll do Florence M. Simmons at gmail.com. And I'm just going to create my account. And then it's going to ask me, the very first question it asked me is for a password. This is the master password for your password manager. This one has to be strong, and you have to remember it. You can see all the words, all the information over there on the right about what you can, what it has to have in it to be a strong password. If you forget this password again, there's no way for LastPass to recover your stuff. They do not have a backdoor, they claim. As far as I know, they do not. So this has to be a good password, and you have to remember it. So what are we going to do for a password? I better write something down, because I'm not going to remember it if I don't write it down. <laughs> Well, what were we working on yesterday? What a friend, right? Let's, see, let's just go with that. We'll do what a friend. Is friend I-E or E-I? Who knows? I always forget. I-E? It's I-E. All right, we'll do what a friend. So what.a.friend.jesus. This will be our password. Okay. Don't use this for yours. And then pound 499, because that's the number in the hymn book. So, what a friend, what a friend, well, we're just doing what a friend Jesus, so it's not exactly what the hymn is, but what, dot A dot F R I E N D dot J E S U S pound 499. And you can see here that green bar going across telling me that that's a pretty strong password, okay? 
And I, I would say it is, it's pretty long, so it should be good. So we're gonna go now, we gotta confirm it. We type it twice, once at the beginning, because they don't wanna make sure that you haven't made a mistake in your first go. So you type it twice. All right, and then we go next. I can also put a hint in there, you can see that right here. They can, if I forget it, they could remind me with a slight hint and I'll put it in here, my favorite hymn as my little hint here, if I forget it. All right, so let's see if we got this. It's getting things set up now and we're just about there. It says you're almost done. And I think, let's see, welcome to LastPass. You can see that now. We'll help you to save your first password. Pick a site below that you use and we'll help you save the password. Well, let's go ahead and we'll say Google. We'll see if we can save a password. Okay, it's sent me to Google and it's asking me to log into Google. So I'm gonna do that and I'm gonna hit next. And now um, I'm into Google. I didn't see LastPass come up and tell me it saved it, but let's just see if it did really quick. Okay, show me around. All right, I don't see it save that password. It's supposed. So you can get the uh, hmm. app for the phone. You can get the app for the phone. I've downloaded it on my phone. Absolutely. Okay, but that will not work with Google on my computer then, right? I'd have to download. You need to download it on your computer as well. So you got to do it on both devices that you want to use it on. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yep. Called LastPass. Yep. I have a question. Uh, yep. Is it safe to save the the password so that the next time I use, I don't have to write? So it? you're saying you're using, say, the browser to save the password, like Chrome? Yeah. So I don't. I don't. I uh, I, I'm not. I'm not real comfortable with it. I, my recommendation is to get a password manager like LastPass. Mm -hmm. Because to me, you're, if you use the browser to save your password, you have all your eggs in one basket. Okay, yeah. you're relying on Google, and like if you're using Chrome, essentially Google is storing your passwords for you because Chrome is part of Google. They own Chrome. Okay. If you put your passwords in Microsoft Edge, you're giving Microsoft your passwords. If you use Safari, then you're giving Apple your passwords. So I like this third party idea because then it's a different company altogether. And I kind of like paying for it because I feel like I have a contract with them and they have some obligation to keep my stuff safe. Oh, uh, you pay for this? I do pay for this, okay. yeah. Yeah, well, but I have, it? it's $24 a year. That's yeah. a very It's not a huge expense, and if you do the family, it's $48 a year. Yes. Can you use it on your phone as well as your computer? Yes, phone? yes, you can use it on as many devices as you want. You could use it on 10 devices. I have it installed, I think, on five different machines right now. Okay. So yeah, it's, if, it's reasonable. Uh, yeah. If I download it uh -huh. on my phone, do I have to download it also in my computer? Yes, yep. Every device you use it on, you need to download it. And uh, the payment is for every device? Right, it's a one payment, and it's for your account. Mm -hmm. Like you just saw, I set up my account here with my email address, mm -hmm. well, my fictitious email address, mm -hmm. Florence Simmons. So you sign up with that, and then on the new any other device you want to use it on, you sign in with that same account. Okay. So you have an account, it's stored in the cloud, and you can access that from any device. Yep. So you put your email address in there and it says remember email? Um, you can do remember email. Usually you would want to use it in a remember fashion. Yep. 
I like to remember. I like it to remember my email, so I don't have to type it every time. But not the password, obviously. Not the password. Right, right. Okay, so let me just show you quickly a couple things here. Uh, now that we have it set up, uh, I'm going to go actually to um, my uh, my Outlook account on here. So I have an Outlook account. I'm going to sign into Outlook. Um, Outlook is Microsoft's email um, program, much like Gmail. And as I'm doing this, let me just mention one thing about how, if you're interested in how I do my email to kind of have some security. Oh, I don't want to use mine. I'm sure I'm getting ready to sign into mine. I wanted to use my fictitious one here. But what I do is I have two email accounts, essentially, that I use. I have Outlook and I have Gmail. I use Outlook for everything that I want to keep secure. So for instance, if I'm going to go to my bank and the bank wants my email address, I give them my Outlook account. If I go to CNN and they want my email, I give them my Gmail account. So the secure stuff is always in Outlook. The unsecure stuff is always in Gmail. And that way, I don't have as much risk, I feel, at least, that, that there's going to be some cross-contamination between sites you know, that, are, that are not keeping my stuff very secure. The other reason I do that uh, is because I pay for Office 365. Okay? Office 365 is Microsoft's uh, subscription service for access to both the uh, desktop versions of Microsoft Office product like Word, Excel, PowerPoint, as well as their cloud services. And so part of the reason I feel better about using Outlook for my secure stuff is again because I have a contract with Microsoft. Essentially, I'm paying for a service. And when you pay for a service, typically you have more access to assistance and them helping you out if you run into a, a problem. And so that's why I do it that way. Um, and uh, it's just an idea. So let me just go in here again. I'm going to log in with my fictitious account now. And I have LastPass turned on. And I'm logging in. I haven't used LastPass yet to save a password. But notice what has happened here as I log in. You can see in the upper right corner. LastPass has popped up a little box and it says, do you want to add this account to LastPass? All I have to do is click Add. And it's storing now my username and password into the Password Manager database. So now, if I log out, I'm going to show you this, and I'm going to log out and then log back in real quick. All right, so I'm out, and now I'm going to log back in and go to the Outlook.com website. And you'll see it's put my username in there for me. I didn't type that. It put it in. That's LastPass doing that. And you can see my password. It just put my password in for me. I didn't type that either. And LastPass just did that automatically. And then I can just sign in. So it's very fast. And then the other thing I want to show you you can do with LastPass is you can look at it. Uh, you can click that little icon. You can see it's red now. By the way, when it's red, you can see it's red with the three white dots there. That means that I'm logged into LastPass. If it's black, it means I'm not logged in. So very simple to tell if I'm logged in or not. And I'm going to open my vault. And here you can see, um, let me see, down here. Here's my Outlook account. 
and, and it's got information there, I can go and look at this, okay? I can edit it. And here's what it saved. It saved a fairly lengthy URL. I probably don't need all that, but it's okay. It, it doesn't matter to me too much because it does all that automatically. But what's also interesting is that if you want to see the password, you can click this little uh, I, I guess, to the right here, and it will show me the password. So if you ever want to just see the password, you can do that as well. Right? You can just go look at it. So that's very nice. And I'm going to show you one other thing, and then we, gotta, we really got to cut out here. But uh, you could see. Right, so let's say you do want to change. LastPass is pretty smart, and it will watch those forms. And if it sees you're on a change password form, after you change your password, it will say, would you like to save that change to LastPass? You just click OK, and it does it. Pretty simple. But also here, when you're in the vault, okay, I got to the vault by I just clicked on this LastPass icon up here, and I, I clicked open my vault. Okay? So my vault is where all the passwords are stored and everything else. You can manually add one. So there's a plus here, and you can just add a new item here. And then you can, it's going to ask you, what type of item do you want to add? There's all kinds of things you could store in here. Um, I don't store anything other than passwords and a few notes about things. But you could put all kinds of things in here. You don't want to put your bank accounts in there, do you? Well, that's a good question. I, um, I have put a few in. I haven't put my primary one I use most of the time in there, but I have put some auxiliary ones in there that I need to remember. Um, but I leave a digit off. <laughs> I leave a digit off, so it's not the actual oh, number. Okay. Yeah, yeah. But what I want to show you in here, so you're adding an item. The thing that I do use in here is something called a secure note. So I can just click on secure note. I can name my secure note. Um, uh, So I may have a specific thing I want to save about my dad's Wi-Fi because I'm helping him with his Wi-Fi and I'm going to forget his password for his Wi-Fi. So I can put a note in here and say, uh, remember, dad's password is for, for his admin uh, Wi-Fi is, and you know, whatever that is. And then I can save that. And now I'll have a note in here, and you can see I have my Outlook right here, and then down here, this is my dad's password, and these things will just get listed out as you add more notes. Those notes are stored completely encrypted, just like your passwords for the websites. 2048-bit encryption, so they're really, really well secured. As good as it can be, okay? Nothing, of course, is invincible, as Todd mentioned earlier. There's no way we can guarantee anything 100%, but it's, it's, it's a good system. It works, and it's, I've never had, I do not know of anyone that has had their LastPass stuff compromised. So I feel very comfortable with it. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.